rolling. Welcome to Filmcraft. Oh crap, we didn't test this before. That's oh. not on. No, it's on. I just gotta adjust the mic for the levels. Talk a little bit. Check, check, check. Yeah, it was a good check. Is it on? It's on. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Filmcraft, everyone. It's rolling? Yeah, we was rolling this whole time. Oh, so they heard all that mic check? Yeah. That's, That's good stuff, though. Oh. This is what happens before you do a take, everyone. <laughs> that was unfiltered, raw mic check. Yeah. You're welcome. We're recording in our new uh, fancy studio with our sound buffing device. This one is 10 feet away from our old studio. <laughs> We're in the living room instead of the dining room. <laughs> All right. All right, Latif, tell them what we're talking about this week. What did we talk about last week? A day in the life. Yeah, we're talking about the schedule. How interesting. Yeah. No. I like that one a lot. <laughs> Today we'll talk about how to breathe. <laughs> Step one. <gasps> in case you've forgotten. Oh, they're already dead. There's no point doing this one. <laughs> Some guy's waiting for step two. He's like, what's step two? Uh, yeah, I think uh, today we're going to tackle more of a theoretical, interesting topic that isn't uh, really advice. It's more just conversation about style. You mean theoretical in, in like, that this conversation might not really exist since? No, it's more like everything we're saying might be lies and fake. <laughs> That'd be great next time like you get caught up in a lie be like, it's not a lie, I'm just theoretical. <laughs> That's a good way to get away with it. I think you just get hit. Like if you just say a bunch of false things and things that aren't facts and act like it's true and someone calls you on it, be like, listen, listen, I'm just being theoretical. What are they going to say? Yeah, but if you do that to your buddies, like... Called four times mm -hmm. after that to be like, I don't want to hang out with this guy anymore. <laughs> no, you can't pull the theoretical card every time you're with your friends. You gotta save it for different friend groups and do it like once every year with the same friend group so it's kind of, you know, scattered. You know what? I just booked my flights home for Christmas. So Theoretically. No, well, I, I'm gonna call my mom and be like, Mom, so here's the dates for my theoretical flight. <laughs> what do you mean, Matthew? Theoretically, I'll be getting it at this time. <laughs> this is a great way of saying I'm unsure. <laughs> God, so full of shit. I gotta watch out for when people say theoretically. Alright. Um, yeah. Anyway. So we're gonna have a discussion about style and, and stuff. I think we, we're gonna narrow it down to directing and how that really has an effect on how people perceive your film and also how you approach filmmaking. I think uh, I think every choice you make as a director has a huge effect on um, on the film they end up making and what people end up seeing, mm. um, from lens choices to editing choices and the kind of performances you get from an actor and all those things make a huge uh, impact on uh, the filmmaking process. Now, just for this conversation, are we going to leave out anything story or written wise? Like no style of pacing or you know world setting or rule setting or anything this is just visual for the most part i mean i think if as a director if you have a say on the thing then then you can talk about it 
Okay. Like if you're if you're working with a writer, but you've decided to tell them to do this or something, and it's more of like a preference you have, then that could be something we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe next week we'll do writing style. Writing style, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like one thing that I thought was interesting, like, I mean, you, like, you, if you name a couple of directors, you can that like these are directors that I think have a very distinct style mm-hmm. um, and it's just the, the choices they make really lend themselves to uh, to their name like you know you're watching a film from this person when you see a David Fincher film yeah or a Martin Scorsese film mm-hmm. or a Christopher Nolan film yep or a Spike Jones film like they yep. all have very uh, Paul Thomas Anderson yeah the style is very clear mm-hmm. um, but there are little things that they do in their process that kind of make it feel like it's a film that they're making because they've made mm. a choice in the process of the technical filmmaking yeah um, like David Fincher does a lot of ominous camera movements mm-hmm. where they kind of do very unnatural and strange things yeah and uh, Christopher Nolan he'll do a lot of camera movements as well but it's not as um, crazy as like Fincher would approach it mm-hmm. like his stuff is a little more cohesive like he likes to do a lot of on set like movements and he likes to have more practical effects and even when he does do camera movements they're not that complicated Mm -hmm. they tend to be um simple movements but within complex like uh frames Mm -hmm. um and like scorsese for example does doesn't do too many crazy uh camera movements but he'll do a lot of push-ins on actors and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um so like these are all specific things that kind of tell you like um the style of a a director so like as a as a filmmaker um even as like a young filmmaker like the choices you make will carry you forward into like who you are who like who you're going to be as a filmmaker so Mm -hmm. well as a general overview i've always thought it it would be really interesting to be the kind of filmmaker that that doesn't have that and mm-hmm. just treats every project like a different type of style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like having said that, for the first movie, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. It was Linklater. Like that was your big influence. Yeah, no camera movement, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Let just sit there. Let's let the actors talk. Everything's very grounded, trying to be like a, a realistic ideology, I guess. And so, yeah, like, very little camera movement, very mm-hmm. heavy in dialogue and trying to be as real as possible. Right. And then going into this next one, I don't think we really talked about Linklater at all, did we? As, like, a reference? Yeah. No. No, not really. Like, I think I watched... Actually, I didn't... No, I didn't watch any of his movies as a reference. We never talked about, like, the really... You know, just put a camera on a tripod and hit record <laughs> method or anything. Yeah. Like, uh, for this one, what were, what were our biggest influences? Uh, I know f- Jones. For me, it was it was her. The movie Her was a big influence on, like, the way I would yeah, absolutely. approach shooting. Like, if I was to choose two of them, it would be her and um, uh, To the Wonder. Oh, the Terrence Malick movie. Yeah, like, I remember you suggested, like, hey, man, we're watching reference movies. Like, you should watch The Wonder. And I think that's maybe the second Terrence Malick movie I've seen. But I was like, okay. What was you, the first one? I 
can't remember. <laughs> but I remember you saying, like, you know, you might hate it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But, you know, I'll watch it. And I think you expected me to hate it, like, based off how you said that. I, well, I thought, it wasn't like I expected you to hate it. I expect mm-hmm. everyone to hate it. Okay. Why? <laughs> because it's not a very style. easy movie to watch. A lot of people will go through it like, what the hell was that? It's very theoretical. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> it's anyway, abstract. Yeah, it's abstract. Like his or that movie, at least, like almost feels more like poetry than movies to me, at least. Like, right. doesn't have a whole lot of plot. Like plot A plus B equals C. There isn't a whole lot of that. Like, I remember I watched it and I called you. And I was like, man, I just watched To the Wonder. And even then, the way you're like, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I think you expect me to be like, it's terrible. Why did you suggest this? But I remember being like mesmerized by it. I'm like, this is mm-hmm. beautiful. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And the camera work is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't say I understood it all. I had to like Google some parts of it. And even still, like with not understanding all of it, it was when it ended I still really liked it mm-hmm. so like in the same way that I think like you can read poetry and I'm not a poetry fan myself but it's just five lines that don't really add up to anything but they can be beautiful without adding up in anything mm-hmm. so yeah for this movie going way back I'd say the two biggest references were her and to the wonder at least in the way they looked felt and mm-hmm. the way that we thought the camera should move right right um, so having said that like those two movies and those three things are big in my eyes a big difference between party stories or it's like let's put the camera on a tripod and record you know and even right down to the way we lit it we wanted to have more dramatic lighting yeah get some beautiful sunsets and you know we'd throw up flags and everything to try and make more harsh shadows and whatnot and party stories it was like let's drill some lights into the ceiling and turn them on yeah it was a completely different approach. Yeah. I, th- I think that's that's another thing as well. Like, stylistically, we didn't... Because we've worked together twice so far. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we did, compared to the second thing, was completely different. Yeah. Like, we weren't like, we nailed this first version of working together. Let's keep doing <laughs> that. I remember when I pitched the second one to you. I was like, Latif, I think I know another one we could do. And I think the first thing you said was, is it Party Stories too?" Because <laughs> I think you were like kind of worried that it'd be like, let's make a sequel. <laughs> I was like, no, no, none of that. Let's do the opposite of that. <laughs> and I think you were relieved when I said that. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't remember. I think if... I don't think I was thinking you'd say Party Stories too. That'd be really funny if you, if you pitched that to me. I'd be like, what? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sounds good. When do we shoot it? Like, when I know how I felt when we finished Party Stories, it's like, I'm proud of what we did here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I thought, like, what do I do ne- next? I had this idea for a while, and then I remember being like, oh, I'm going to pitch this to the team. I think it's something we can do. But one of the biggest things that attracted me to it was that it was kind of the opposite of what we did with party stories you know it's, it's the same in the sense that we're still doing resourceful filmmaking mm-hmm. we don't have unlimited money in fact we have very 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 little money <laughs> but everything we wanted to do with it was kind of opposite of party stories and 
or an evolution of it. So, like, we wanted to cinematically look a lot different. We wanted to not shoot all at night. We wanted to tell a completely different kind of story. And then the evolution evolution stage of it was, like, Party Stories is kind of like a 18, 19-year-old movie, right? Like, that's the phase of life that it takes place in. And then it, this one is pretty much like a mid-20s, mm-hmm. you know, going on late-20s movie. So it's like another big moment in life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, I remember thinking, like, when Party Stories ended, I'm like, the last thing I would want to do is go out and do another, you know, 19, 21-year-old party movie. Like, mm-hmm. we just spent two years doing that. Let's do something new and awesome and different. <laughs> so, even uh, even in terms of, like, thematic choices for, like, types of stories and... and um, kind of settings for films like mm. the type of film you decide to make over time like through your career will kind of chronicle a style that you've decided to go with in terms of like what stories interest you I think mm. if that makes sense because I think a lot of directors will make films that kind of lend themselves to each other they feel very much like they're part of the same uh, like a zeitgeist yeah like they belong almost like in a, like a film collection anthology or whatever mm-hmm. like I know Gus Van Sant's films they all feel like they kind of belong with each other mm-hmm. it's like thematic aging kind of yeah well even Wes Anderson's films feel like they should mm-hmm. be watched together yeah he is another one that has like very distinctive style like oh for sure yeah I think every movie he makes you're like that's Wes Anderson and if anyone else tried to do that you'd be like why is this guy trying to rip off Wes Anderson it's not really working <laughs> you know? yeah but you know there there's a there's something to be said about that like in my opinion I don't necessarily think it's super important to be known as like this kind of a director or have a certain style mm-hmm. but there's like a great advantage in that like people will come to you with specific pro- projects that they know you will do well at or yeah. that you might be interested in and an audience kind of knows what they're going to get exactly you mm-hmm. kind of build something around um on the around the choices you make as a filmmaker but at the same time say you wanted to do something completely different mm-hmm. a lot of people might be like what you yeah. you're the yeah. guy who does this yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know That's you could fair. get pigeonholed but I, I think it depends on what direction you want to go in as a filmmaker mm-hmm. you know like what as a film filmmaker are you afraid of getting put in a box in terms of like the types of movies you make or do you even think about that like personally I don't really care mm-hmm. like I'll do whatever no that's fair that's fair uh, I think I kind of am actually how so I don't want to be like the you're the party guy or you're the you know 20s guy <laughs> like I want to be able to do whatever right um, like I just want to tell good your cat's snoring so hard <laughs> I just want to be able to tell good stories that I think have messages people can grow from like for me movies the reason that I always loved them so much was it was kind of like a two hour escapism from any you know life problems or anything you had or just a two hour kind of love letter to an emotion that you may or may not be feeling and the best movies would have me at the end being like oh maybe I 
see life a little bit differently now or that movie really spoke to me because of something I feel like I'm going through or something I did go through way back in the day whether that be you know a positive or a negative thing mm-hmm. um, negative positive or negative thing that you went through that this movie's not relating back to you right um, that's all I want to do is tell good stories with hopefully good themes and ideologies so like for someone the last thing I would want is like say this next movie or party stories comes out and they're really one of them is really big mm-hmm. to the point where someone's like hey man like I really like what you and Latif do will you write a script about being in your early 30s and what happened in that stage of life and be like ah I don't know we just did two of those they kind of like do something else now. plus you've never gone through your 30s well yeah yeah but by that point maybe <laughs> You're like, I don't know, I'm 29. <laughs> I can wing it eventually. <laughs> um, so I think I am a little bit afraid of the, this guy. Little, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'd like to just be someone where it's like, oh, who tells good stories? You know, Matt and Latif, they, they tell some pretty good stories. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of stories? I think they can tell any story. Let's talk to those guys. <laughs> but you said you're not afraid of that? How come? Well, for the most part just because like I'm generating all the kind of work that I I want to make like mm-hmm. no one's coming to me with ideas and asking me to make their films like no one's like hey make this movie mm-hmm. like I have to make all the decisions on the kind of films I want to make yeah. so if I want to make a horror movie mm-hmm. or a science fiction film or you know a teen coming of age movie mm-hmm. like I can make those decisions Yeah, I think uh the problem is like once you get into a certain notoriety yeah once you whatever is the thing that people go oh you made that mm-hmm. what are you going to do next yeah. <laughs> that too mm-hmm. that version too it's like <laughs> no um yeah I th- like I'm I'm not too worried about that because like I don't think I'll ever make the same project twice Mm-hmm. And if I, which is good, yeah. I mean, if I end up making something that feels similar to another project, it's just because I want to. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not that obsessed with like the kind of. I I think this is one thing that that I'm pretty sure about. Like, I don't think I'll ever direct anything I didn't write. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever be handed a project and be like, "You want to make this?" I'll probably have to say no to all of them. Yeah. Because I just don't don't want to direct something that I didn't write. Mm-hmm. I think the writing process is so important to me that if I were to skip it and not make something with the writing process behind me, I I wouldn't do it justice. Um, and I think that's a testament to my style. Like I'm yeah. I'm very I'm very like the script needs to be solid before we do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've been in positions where I've been working with. Um, other directors and they wanted to make a short film and they pitched me an idea and they're like hey we're gonna do this and all this stuff and a lot of conversation but then there's no script yeah and I'm like if there's no script then there's nothing like mm-hmm. I need to know what is happening like on yeah. the page so like for me that's like a huge that's a huge deal for me like that's how I like to work um I guess this all just leads back to um yeah, like I, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be worried about being put in a certain box just because I, I, I don't think, 
I'll have to find work out there. I, I think mm-hmm. I'll have to generate it from inside. So that's fair. That's just kind of how my my brain's wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go back to like the um, the initial topic in terms of visuals. Like, yeah. When you generate a project, like you've written a script, what's the first thing you do to say, "How do I visualize this"? In the writing process? No, script's done. Oh, in like directing? Yeah. It's very... I'm finding now more than ever as well. I'm really like, whatever I write is when I want to shoot. Mm -hmm. So like from the very first, like... um, Like if the scene is like a close-up on a clock, then it goes to a wide shot of a room. I've probably written that on the page, and Mm -hmm. I'm shooting what I've written. So I think a lot about like how I'm going to show a scene. Or how to establish a, a room or something. Um, so, I think in the past I've been kind of like a off freestyle and figure out what kind of shots we have and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I'll be working with other directors, mm-hmm. so I have the freedom to kind of play around. Because, um, like in reality, I can't read the director's mind ever. <laughs> so unless they tell me what they want, I just kind of figure out like what I like, mm-hmm. and then if they like that, then that's what we'll go with. But it's never like, like when I'm when I'm working, it's never like, oh, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like pretty ninety nine percent sure um, of the shots I want, and it's just about creating that. So I'm, I'm uh, in terms of the frame that we're seeing, I'm not freestyling, freestyling a lot of it, um, unless I'm making a film that is like super short and kind of experimental that will be a lot of like no planning just kind of going into it but if I'm doing something narrative I know exactly what I'm going to shoot as soon as I start writing so mm-hmm. it doesn't change too much from that what, what about going back to like the uh, at the beginning of this we talked about like Fincher and Nolan let's mm-hmm. use those two examples so like right there well let's use Wes Anderson because he's like okay. the definition of of what people would call like the a, a director with like some style yeah. or a certain so let's mm-hmm. use Fincher and Anderson for example. Okay. I guess let's talk about in terms of style, color and clothing. Oh yeah. So like Fincher, everything is gunmetal gray and green, like military colors, right? It's dark. It's kind yeah. of gritty looking and. Yeah, and the clothes will I like in my opinion, either. Hardcore reflect that, like Fight Club, everything's super dingy, yeah. or it'll totally go against that, and everyone's in, like, suits. Yeah. Like, Zodiac, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other, <laughs> which... Oh, it's colorful. Lots of color, and, like, almost Alice in Wonderlandy kind of clothes all the time, right? Well, that's a strip. That's like Tim Burton, well, which you know, is another you know style. I mean, comparative to reality. It's... It's very colorful and extremely... Um, like cartoonish, it was zany. It's fantastical. Like, mm-hmm. uh, some of the costumes, like, and and the sets, like, they're not real things. Like, they're yeah. completely fabricated from, like, his ideas and... Yeah, totally. And references and, and gnomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I see him, hey, you're the gnome director, right? <laughs> you're the guy who makes gnome movies? He's like, What? Who's this guy? Latif, Latif, Latif got punched in the face by Wes Anderson. Punched him square in the eye. 
That'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd get punched in the eye by him. If I got punched in the eye by Wes Anderson, there would be a perfect fist shape in my eye. <laughs> He'd punch me so precisely. Um, uh, yeah, in terms of style, like, how would, how would you, like, our viewers, say our listeners, like, I want to do something kind of out there. Yeah. But I don't really know what or how to get to that. Right. How would you tell them, like, try this? <laughs> you know, like, how do you think Wes Anderson got to the Wes Anderson style? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, he didn't just say, like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to make a movie. Maybe I'll dress them in all this crazy shit. I don't shoot it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure he had building blocks leading to his style. What do you think they were? Uh, I mean, think about, like, how he sets his scenes up. A lot of mm-hmm. the times his the frames in his movies are, are like paintings, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're viewed from like a straightforward angle. Yep. The actors are kind of set in front of um, whatever background it is. Mm. But it's almost like a like a stage play. Like yeah. the camera is right in front of where the action is happening, and a lot of the times it'll be on a wider lens mm-hmm. because there will be some movement. And in in a wider shot, it's funnier to see like weird movements or like mm-hmm. kind of slapstick ish humor and which you'll see a lot of in his films um so like he'll kind of just leave the camera and leave it on a wide shot but when he does a camera movement it's very distinct they're not subtle slow pushes it's like a whip pan yeah or a look up or a look down Mm -hmm. um like the camera movements in his films are very distinct so when he does this it creates a style like he's made a very hard choice um and i think the opposite of that is when you decide not to do something specific mm-hmm. and you don't specify what you're trying to do um, as a director so say um, lens choice is a huge thing if we're doing a close-up on an actor and and you're like oh let's do let's go for the close-up um, the cinematographer could do two things they could bring the camera closer to the actor or they could put a tighter lens on the camera mm. both of them will give you a close-up but they have a very different effect so it depends on what choice you make as a director at that point and how that you know uh dictates uh, what you're saying as a filmmaker at that point are we coming in closer to the actor are we going to make it more intimate are we going to kind of uh have the actor only in focus and blur everything out and and focus on this like solo uh, uh person in the shot um and why and what effect does that have so like all of these little things dictate style and how people perceive what you've done and there's a very similar pattern to how these directors make their films Fincher is always moving his camera in all his all his films mm-hmm. um, Wes Anderson is always having the same kind of it's almost like a, yeah I mean it's like looking at a painting like it's very well staged mm-hmm. and, and everything is kind of placed precisely and and symmetrical and very clean Mm-hmm. and there are lines and shapes and everything and, and color palettes that kind of match each other and complement each other very well in all of his shots but he does it he does this throughout his films and from his first film Bottle Rocket all the way up to uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel you can see the style has evolved dramatically mm-hmm. and and in his first film like you wouldn't watch it and be like yeah this guy's got something mm-hmm. you could tell he's kind of got like a, a little quirkiness in his, in his filmmaking but it didn't really develop until he started making more projects and figuring out what he wanted to do. Um, so early on, as a filmmaker, you don't have to like break your balls and be like, I need a style, <laughs> if you've only made a short film. 
you can figure what that is figure out what that is over time mm-hmm. it doesn't just happen one day um i think that's a that's a big problem like some people might come out of film school and be like i don't have a style i gotta figure out what my style is but you don't get that until you've made some films like well, i was gonna say on that note would you just tell people like just go shoot a whole bunch of stuff see what you like see what you don't like yeah like shoot mm-hmm. stuff and and if you don't know what you're doing just um, make decisions and, and eventually you'll know what you don't want to do and what you do want to do mm-hmm. and that will kind of dictate what your style is but it's not just about camera camera stuff as well like how, how do you approach the mood and tone of a scene um, how do you and your cinematographer talk about how it's lit um, and how the camera moves and how in depth is your conversation with production design like do you really focus on the color of the room and like the props and what the actors are wearing with your costume person and and do you talk about makeup and hair like how in depth do you go with all of this mm-hmm. i'm not saying you have to go in depth to be a good director or have a certain style but for the most part you have an opinion and a choice with everything you do in the film mm-hmm. so the things you decide to do have a huge effect on on the film you make like stanley kubrick is notorious for being a control freak yep. and, and everything Which being pays off. Yeah, I mean everything in his films are precise and exactly as he wants them to be. Mm-hmm. But his films are revered and yeah. kind of haunting and yep. scary. I don't mean scary like I'm scared. Scary like it's so crazy that he's that good. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, it's like a painting. It's mm-hmm. scary how precise it is, but um for the most part uh it takes some time to figure out what your style is. I think, you know, I've I've worked on a, tons of films and so many projects. I've kind of found a bit of what my style I think is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think there's a lot of work to do for sure. But it doesn't just happen. I think that's one thing that's important as well. Like we're talking about style and all this stuff and we're naming big directors. But for like the young filmmaker, like you you will find it. But you can't uh, you can't adopt it <laughs> yeah it's kind of like that quote of like never put your first draft up against like The Godfather right because The Godfather probably went through a thousand rewrites and was written by a god yeah and like if you've written your first draft or your first script it's not going to measure up to that and you still have you know 10-15 rewrites to go so don't mm-hmm. measure a first attempt to like some of the final works of a incredible artist right mm-hmm. but, but also like you don't have to adopt another filmmaker's style and just like try to do that because mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're missing unless you try different things yeah you know try doing something a little more quirky and 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 fun like a Wes Anderson thing mm-hmm. and then try something really dark and, and strange like a David Fincher film like I don't mean like try to be them. I mean try mm-hmm. to uh, stylize your project in in those directions. Like we're like honestly like everyone's stealing from each other. I'm not yeah. saying go out and steal, but you know take a taste of everyone's like different flavor. Oh. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. see what works for you, and and eventually you will make choices that are your own, and and kind of speak about like how who you are mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Because like really what we're doing is sharing a, a bit of ourselves. Yeah. But in reality, it's really about like how does this piece of ourselves that we're putting out there connect with someone else? Mm-hmm. Uh, I find like the the films and the art we make 
are kind of like therapy for other people like they yeah, see the absolutely. films and they either empathize with what's happening or they see something and and have this realization that oh other people have felt what I'm feeling now yeah. like this film is showing me like triggering an emotional response yeah so you don't feel as lonely or you don't feel as afraid or mm-hmm. you feel a little more understanding of something that you didn't know about um obviously everyone's gonna get, get a different uh, meaning after a film but at the end of the day um I think we have to be honest about how we approach uh making a film and do it from like a place that is really like true to who you are um in order to you know establish establish a voice mm-hmm. um as an artist yeah yeah alright yeah. thanks for listening I'm kidding <laughs> bye Oh, it'd be great if we, uh, we use Snake's voice from The Simpsons. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Oh, that was a bad thing. <laughs> i do a great Apu, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll do it after we hit stop. <laughs> do a good Chief Wiggum. Do you? No, I, I do his, uh, you know, when he loses his asthma, but he sounds worse. <laughs> You remember that? It was like I don't when his episode when Marge was part of, or, or sorry, Homer's mom was part of like a, like a hippie. Oh yeah, the flashback one. Yeah, yeah. and then she releases some gas in the school, <laughs> where Chief Wiggum was a security guard, and he runs because he has this awful voice. He runs into the hallway. He's like, Ah, my asthma's gone, and he goes, <laughs> I can breathe again, and that was his breathing. I was like, Ew. It's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> so good. So yeah. many good parts in The Simpsons. Simpsons is uh, <laughs> that was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. Oh, absolutely. Those seasons two through ten are just Perfect. gold. Yeah. So yeah, any uh, final thoughts on? Um, yeah, thoughts or like pieces of practical advice to give before we round out the episode. I guess. Aside from, like, all the little, you know, broad strokes that we've painted, to be a good director, you've got to be good at critical thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to get have a good sense of of tone and, and the language we use as filmmakers. And kind of understanding um, how every every little thing has an effect on, on, the, on the work. Um... Like my f- favorite filmmakers are like two of my favorite filmmakers are are the Coen Brothers and mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of all their movies and and what I find is like they're so uh, they're so involved in the process you know they write their films and they direct their films and they edit their films mm-hmm. all of you know all together and and they're so involved in the process of filmmaking um, that the reason why I enjoy their work so much is because the thing that they've made is such a testament to like their their original vision mm-hmm. like their voice really comes through in their work and that's what I really appreciate about appreciate about their uh, films um, and I think that's why I'm so attracted to their work um, it always speaks to me in a weird way mm-hmm. um, you've got to really uh, think critically about it, uh, everything you do and uh, and why you're doing it yeah don't, uh, like I don't don't worry so much about what the audience thinks. Like I never think about what the audience thinks. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever care about what a viewer will think when I make a project. It's never even crossed my mind. Unless someone's asked me, but... Do you mean you don't care what they think in terms of if they like it or not? Or, like, you don't care if they miss this one little piece of information? Like, you're not going to double over just to remind them, like, hey, you know... 20 minutes ago we brought this up it's about to get brought up again that kind of subtle flashback I guess <laughs> both definitely okay. both like I I don't care if an audience member gets confused mm-hmm. or if they miss something or if they like the project or not mm-hmm. like I completely disregard those things because um I can't like it, I think there's two camps mm-hmm. and they kind of mix uh, a little I think you either approach filmmaking as you're an artist and you're trying to to create something mm-hmm. um, that has like a personal tie, or you're creating entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying one's better than the other because a lot of the time entertainment is therapy for people. Yeah. Um, but I'm I approach it more as an artist because I feel like I'm doing something very personal. And because of that, I can't really care about what someone else thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was a painter, I'm going to paint what I want to paint. If someone's like, hey, why are you painting flowers? They're dumb. I would not paint flowers. Yeah. Like, it would be a complete like um, rejection of like what like my like inside voice is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. So as a filmmaker, I can't care about what the audience thinks because uh, I don't want that to affect my work. Mm-hmm. I can only uh, listen to what they say after it's completed. But I can't let, like, an outside voice, like, um, have an effect on, like, what I want to do. Um, unless it's someone that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, because filmmaking is a collaborative process. But um, even then, I try to shut things down and not take too many, <laughs> too many points of advice from people. But, yeah, that, that those are my, that's my two cents on, on having a voice, I guess. Also, um after making two features do you feel like you've kind of hit things that you that you like to do in films that you know like you'd go back to stylistically um or things that we did differently that you're like oh that was good I like when we did that or something I know now it's almost like I know what I don't more of what I don't want to do and more of what I want to try and do more of like I don't want to go back as much as I adore it to the day I die. I don't want to go back to the just tripod a camera and hit record. Mm-hmm. Like, again, love Linklater to death. Kevin Smith's Clerks is perfect. <laughs> but I'd like to get much more involved with camera work. And like you said, really... That's a big departure from... Uh... When we first talked about I filmmaking. Know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's crazy. We'll leave that in because no one will know what she's saying. You don't know that. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I'd like to get more involved with camera work. And I would have... Actually, I don't know if I would have done too much more with this new project. Had we been give, given more time... Mm-hmm. Like, we shot this whole thing in eight days. We had limited resources, too. Very limited. So it's not like... I think I kind of pushed it out of my mind, just like... 
you know, you're not going to have jibs and dollies and cranes. <laughs> Don't even try and think about that. <laughs> we tried to make a dolly unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was brutal. That's fine, though. But, yeah, like... Like, we got away with a decent amount of one-shots in this movie, which we talked about from the start. And we kept them... We had coverage, but we decided to keep a lot of them in the one-shot, too. Yeah, and, like, uh, one-shots, like, the... That one where we do the whip pan twice. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but... I mean, these are choices that we've made, too. Like, we talked about this, like, way beforehand. Yeah, and I'm insanely happy with that. I remember originally I wanted to do a lot more one-shots and, like move through the location and kind of yeah. Spielberg it. I mean, there, there were times when I would be opposed to, like, a movement. Mm-hmm. And we'd talk about, like, why and stuff like that. Like, we had a lot of conversations about camera movement for this one. Oh, yeah, totally. Which I think we didn't do a lot of in Party Stories. No, because we just hit record. <laughs> we just hit record, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to do a lot more, you know, especially in the... The main character's apartment. I think initially we were going to do a lot more yeah. one-shots in there. And the place was like the size of a closet. So immediately we had to scrap all that. Yeah. But yeah, like it, if, it, if on the next one we happen to come into a little bit of money and equipment and crew. And like we didn't even have a focus puller, you know? So yeah. if we could, if we even just had that one extra crew member for focus puller. like I mean, we had, we did have one extra guy on this one, which was a huge help. Oh yeah. But I mean, just in terms of straight focus pulling. Yeah. Like yeah. if we had a good focus puller, we probably would have, and call it another extra day of shooting. We would have tried all kinds of other Crazy things that we, well, not even crazy, just a little bit more involved. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of like, I know now that I don't want to, you know, for some things, put the camera stationary, hit record. It's the best thing to do mm-hmm. for certain scenes, but I would like to definitely use more camera movement. Um, I'd like a little, like I remember thinking in pre-production about like, what shots am I going to do here, here, and here in terms of camera movement? And I'll be thinking about it, and then it, since we didn't have any department heads, <laughs> I'd have to go do all that, those jobs, and the kind of camera movement stuff got pushed a little bit out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it works totally fine. I'm very happy with how editing's coming up, but if it got to a point where we had more money and department heads, I wouldn't have to answer all those questions. You know, like, if I had to answer 20 questions for makeup, um in this movie and the next one we had like a team of you know makeup and a key head it would that key would answer those 20 and then she'd come to me with two mm-hmm. and i'd only have to answer two questions instead of 20 and yeah. then i could spend that extra time that i would save by not answering those 18 questions and use it on you know other things camera work and whatnot same with like wardrobe like in our pre-production which was nothing i would estimate we probably spent 15, 20% cuz we had to do all of the wardrobe ourselves. Yeah, we had to pick all the shirts and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't like that part of it. That was probably my least favorite part. I actually didn't mind that part. Well, it's good. Um like I draw the stuff that a lot of the stuff we did together, but when it came to a point where it's like you've got call it five main characters. Mhm. 
and we had to pick I think our main character had 26 costume changes yeah and then it descended from there so like I think it was 26 someone else had like 18 and then there was like mid to low teens basically there was hundreds of costumes <laughs> hundreds yeah and we had to just do all of that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and it's not like I'm not a costume designer I don't know if you consider yourself a costume designer <laughs> absolutely not but I can uh, barely dress myself I know right <laughs> but yeah if I didn't have to do or we didn't have to do any of that and we were given that time just to say like you know we have a couple extra camera toys what kind of movement do we want to do with the camera here to really sell the point we're going for yeah that's something I would love to explore more on future projects right yeah that's so like yeah now I know more what I don't want to do and I know the itch I have to be like let's explore more of that <laughs> you know yeah cool yeah. alright yeah the computer's at 10% and I don't have a charger here so let's wrap it up Lots any final thoughts last chance uh, no no yeah I think we've said enough awesome good luck as always, it's brought to you by Pippa. Pippa.io, P I P P A.io. Podcast hosting service, they're awesome. I meant to look into how much it cost the other day. I was on the website and then I got distracted. <laughs> but it's cheap, it's good. Check them out. They're Man, awesome. Pippa's gonna drop us. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> like, you guys never get anything right. You're out. You're off. That would suck. I don't want that. <laughs> But yeah, check them out. They're awesome. Good prices. Good tools. Analytics are helpful. We're always looking at like where all you guys are listening from. Actually, we got 10% left. Let's take a quick look right now. Yeah, let's shout out all the countries that are listening to the podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> Come on, analytics. Oh, computer's slowing down because the battery's dying. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here we go. All right. So, the demographics. So, what do you think our least listened to part of the world is that isn't zero. That isn't zero. That isn't zero. Uh, I'm going to say Spain. France. France. Yep. Goddamn sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Listen more, people in France. It's probably because we're not speaking French. Yet. Let's add a French segment to the podcast for the Fran- uh, French. French. We can. Well, bonjour. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, France uh, and Turkey. They're the bottom two. So, people, France, Turkey. Shout out to you. Respect the hell out of you. Yeah. Share it with amazing. your friends around there. And if you have any questions, we'll answer them for you. Can't but believe someone from Turkey is listening to us. More people in Turkey than France. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, shout out to you guys. And yep, yeah, still the states is the number one for us in and terms of Canada listening. Canada second. And yeah, and then Canada. And then which uh, is strange because we're Canadian. I know. Weird. Yeah, I mean I love the states too. Not the president, but <laughs> <laughs> the states. How about the uh, UK. Uh, UK is number three. Tied hey. with Australia. Australia too. Yeah, I like Australia. Never yeah. been, but I want to. It's warm, and I hate winter. That's good. And kangaroos are cool. You could cop a lean there. <laughs> is that a thing? 
I was talking to someone, an Australian girl, and she said Coppoline was a Australian slang. Okay. For what? For leaning on things. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds more sexual than that. I don't know if she was messing with me, but it's probably someone in Australia that can confirm what Coppoline is. It could, it could be like, you know, stealing drugs. I don't know. <laughs> I sound nuts now. Something awesome. And then where else we got? Got some Great Britain fans. What's hey. happening, Great Britain? We love you. Nigeria? Yep, Nigeria. Knew it. Yep. Some great filmmakers there. Absolutely. Ireland, Germany, Thailand. Thailand? Colombia. Wow, a lot of people listen to Colombia. What's happening, Colombia? Oh, you know what? This, this would be a good time to do a little uh, shout-out. To who? Um, Columbia? T- to myself. Um, <laughs> What's up, Latif? <laughs> no, I've got a, I have a film uh, that's in the online film festival right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So our, our listeners could go and uh, vote for my little project mm-hmm. and look at the other projects. Tell them about it. It's called the Film Minute Film Festival. Um, and they screen a bunch of film festivals on, on their website. They pick 25 films from across the globe. And I'm the only film from Canada. And um, it's on until the end of the month. So if you want to check it out, go to filmminute.com. I don't know if that's the site. I'm just saying something. <laughs> but uh, check it out. My film's called Spider. Uh, it's had a great. lot of fun making it, yeah. It's one of my more like uh, artsy films. So check it out. Yeah. And vote. Vote. Cool. Cool. So yeah, thanks to everyone that's listening. I mean, that's not all the con- all the countries that listen, but thanks to everyone. We love you guys. See you next week. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> I don't even know if we recorded this one theoretically. No.